Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to the Way of Being podcast. My name is Luke Bricker, and I'm excited to have the very first guest on the Way of Being podcast today. Before I give him an introduction, though, I would like to um, just sort of name a couple things here. Yes, uh, we have shifted from, and by we, I mean I, have shifted from spiritual nomad to the Way of Being. So if you have this podcast in your library and you're like, where did the way of being come from? How did I start subscribing and following that podcast? Well, it was the Spiritual Nomad podcast uh, for the past six years. And in January, January 1st, everything switched to the way of being because it's just simply more accurate for who I am, where I'm at, and uh, the work that I do now in the world. Um, it just fits a lot better. That name came to me like a year and a half ago. I've been sitting on it. Finally decided just to do it this year in 2023. So a lot of fun stuff that's gonna be rolling out like this interview with Ellis. Uh, one more thing before we jump in is in 2023, I'm really focusing on making myself available for spiritual companionship, spiritual direction. As many of you know, I've been ordained minister for years and walking with people uh, along their spiritual unfoldment. And so I have one-on-one -on -one spiritual companionship available. Um, it's contribution, not cost. So it's a part of our 501c3 nonprofit organization as a service. And so whatever people feel in their hearts to contribute, that's open and available for them. Uh, but there is no real set cost. So if you are someone who needs someone to walk with on the path of awakening, uh, click the link somewhere around here and uh, I set up just a, a little, it's on a platform like a course or a workshop, um, but it's really just me for 50 minutes, just sort of, sort of giving you an overview of what spiritual companionship is, who I am, how I serve, and, and what all of this uh, could be for you in your life. So watch that, listen to it, you know, whatever there's MP3 to. And if it resonates with you, if it's something that's calling to you, something you feel like you need in your life, I want to make myself available to you. So somewhere around this podcast or YouTube video, click the link and that'll take you to my website and uh, we can connect for spiritual companionship. And without further ado, let me introduce to you today's guest on the podcast. I want to introduce to you uh, Ellis Anthony Peters. Ellis is a spiritual content creator and entrepreneur. He is the creator of the Spiritual Changemakers podcast, and he owns a spiritual marketing company in which he helps spiritual business owners grow their following ethically. Love that part. He is also a meditation teacher and advocate of interspirituality. Now, friends, welcome Ellis to the Way of Being podcast. Welcome to the way of being, my friend. Thanks. So this is uh, kind of a, a really cool moment for me because this is my first guest on this podcast with the new name. Um, so for years, uh, six years ago, I started the Spiritual Nomad podcast. That was just evidence of where I was at at the time. And... Uh, about a year and a half ago, this name, The Way of Being, came to me. It felt a little bit more in tune with who I was, but I had already sort of created this caricature of a spiritual nomad and, you know, had branding and such around that. And uh, I was going to start this as a podcast for the church that we'd started and decided not to. And then um, just decided to just rebrand this whole thing to be more in tune because I really didn't want to do the spiritual nomad thing anymore. So, um, it's been fun watching uh, your Instagram feed and seeing how that lines up so wonderfully with the heart behind the new name. So it makes sense that you would be the first guest uh, with this name of the way of being. So um, thank you for joining me and uh, want to have a, a good conversation about where my path has taken me, which is that of interspirituality mm. and um, want to learn a little bit more. Uh, about how you got to this place of interspirituality. And so we'll, we'll kind of just break it down a little bit for people. If people have been listening to this podcast for any period of time, that's really been the heart and the essence of this for quite some time. So um, I think people will understand some of the fundamentals of that, um, but would love to have you maybe just give an overview of interspirituality from your perspective. Uh, what are some of the elements that led you to that? 
And uh, yeah, let's just start with that. So a little of your own introduction here. Yeah. So I think to give some context to interspirituality, I feel like it makes sense to kind of describe my path. And I think that might help if someone hasn't heard of that term, like help them understand how they may uh, agree with that same perspective or identity of interspirituality. Um, so for me, I grew up uh, going to Catholic schools my whole life. And um, really throughout that whole time up until I was like 12 or so, it was not really spiritual for me. It was just kind of like this is where I go to school, we go to church, but church was never a spiritual experience for me. It was kind of just following what the teachers were telling me to do basically. Um, but I did at like an early age, have a lot of interest in certain spiritual figures within the Christian tradition, like St. Francis of Assisi. It's a big, big one for so many people. Um, but for myself too, hearing the stories of, of his life and, uh, his connection with animals and nature, was just easy to connect with him. And then I also, it was, it was kind of interesting. I did this like biography on this saint. His name is St. Anthony of the desert. And he was just, from what I remember, I haven't uh, researched much about him since then, but it, it was kind of like interesting to me. He was just roaming around in the desert, had super long hair and was just, you know, living this very mystical path. So there were a few figures in that early upbringing that interest me, but basically around like 13 or 14, I kind of just decided that that was no longer uh, the right path for me. Um, And then I got into just exploring plant medicine and meditation around that time. And I think around that time when I started having some experiences with plant medicine, with meditation, I I like really started to have spiritual experiences where I connected with who I was beyond my mind, beyond my thoughts, really. And, And that was where everything opened up for me, where I realized that there was something you could actually experience that is related to these religious traditions. It's not just dogma. There's like something deeper. And so because of that, I uh, got really into Buddhism at first. Uh, I worked with a Zen teacher when I was living in Chicago for like two years. And it was Zazen, like Soto Zen centered uh, tradition. So I got really into that Buddhist path and specifically meditation for a few years and that was really beautiful but I felt like it was a little bit dry for me it was very black and white uh like yeah yeah for sure and so and even from like the Christian background where there's prayer and there's a belief in a relationship aspects between the soul and God to a certain extent. Um, where Zen was very, with Zen, it was very much just sit down, be quiet, notice the present moment, be with whatever it is. And that will give you enlightenment basically. And, and it's powerful, but it wasn't, yeah, there wasn't like the color and emotion that I, I felt was really important. So that led me to go into the more like Hindu and yoga path, which has been like the main, my main spiritual practice has been kind of like classical yoga, the eight limbed path. Um, And that was for me, had those meditative aspects that Buddhism had in the really great philosophy that Buddhism had, but it also had, um, that devotional, that emotional and colorful side that I love about the Christian tradition. And really where I'm at now today is like, I I consider myself a spiritual person. I don't consider myself a religious person. Um, But I like that term, the term interspirituality, because to me, 
my spiritual practice, my spiritual outlook is not, it doesn't have any hard feelings towards religions. Like I think religious paths are beautiful and powerful, but I think that there's so many people, myself included, that could never fully commit to like, this is just what I'm following and that's it. I'm open to anything that is going to help me connect with, with God. Um, so whatever it is, whether it be plants, whether it be art or whether it be a, a spiritual tradition or religious tradition, I'm open to that. And that's kind of what I view interspirituality as is there's a lot of different definitions to it, but for me, I view it as practicing things from multiple traditions at the same time. So that's kind of a, a brief explanation of my story and, and how I've come to interspirituality. Yeah. I'm curious on that too, not to uh, cut you off too quickly, but one thing that I really appreciate about your Instagram and why I feel like I really connect with you. And I think in the email I said, we have, I feel like we have some similar values because um, for me coming from the, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church, uh, went to school to be in ministry, was preaching on stage at really young ages, and then went through a deconstruction of faith. That's kind of the buzzword, you know, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of times people come on the backside of that, especially in Christianity, being in the West hurt from it and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of crushed by the institution and, Therefore, we become, you know, uh, only seeing doctrine through one particular strict worldview that we are rejecting. And we take that one little thread as the whole quilt and just push the whole thing away. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I've really incorporated elements of, of Christianity back in. What I loved uh, one of your posts was like about understanding the, the deeper traditions of, of all of these faiths that, that shape us. And, um, you know, honoring those traditions. Um, mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit maybe to how interspirituality, because uh, at the end of the day, we're all kind of picking and choosing. Like that's what a guy cornered me in a coffee shop the, uh, last month and was like, you're, you're just picking and choosing. You're cherry picking. I'm like, Jesus cherry picked, you know, the, <laughs> the Psalms. I mean, True. it's it, it's we all do that. We are all doing mm -hmm. that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But uh, one thing that I think is, is important about what you're saying is that um, it isn't necessarily just this hodgepodge of just, because what happens in new age, and I know you're in San Diego too, and it's very popular around here to just sort of take all of these things that work for you and craft your own, which I think has its place. But sometimes at the uh, at the expense of just like throwing the baby out the bathwater of all of the other elements of that tradition, you don't really honor that tradition. You're just sort of robbing what you want from it. Um, yeah. So maybe can you speak a little bit your your journey of of coming to a place of not being uh, you know angry with or whatever, and, and really honoring the traditions and drinking deeply from them? Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. It's something that I think I think about a lot um, on my own spiritual journey. Um, I think that the way that I would start answering this is that everyone's different. So I think the reason so many people struggle with religion is because people claim to know what's best for them, for another person. And I think ultimately it is up to everyone to choose what what's bringing them to God. So if for someone that means just following a Christian path or just being a, a Buddhist, awesome. If that's for someone for someone else, maybe it could look like, yeah, like a lot of people here in San Diego who don't really deeply dive into any specific tradition and understand it in a deep way, but just take very, you know, simple things. I think that's okay too. Um, like I said, I, I don't want to claim to to know what's best for anyone, but I think for me, yeah, for me, what I've found is that when you can go deeper and study a tradition, you know, beyond just those surface level understandings, 
you can understand why they've set up the system and the tradition and in the dogma even in, in the way that they have. And for instance, with, with yoga, for instance, the, the eight limbs of yoga, um, there are specific, it's really to me kind of a science. Uh, some people will say it's just straight up a science. I don't think it's straight up a science in the way we think of the word science today, but it is very scientific. And a lot of people who don't study it in a deeper way might think all there is to it is just like, oh, just do some breath work and do your yoga postures. And that's that's kind of all there is to it. But in reality, it it goes really deep into the psychology of the mind and why you would want to avoid negative self-talk towards yourself or negative uh, thoughts towards another person, um, why you would want to practice non-attachment, why you want to um, bring your senses in, like the importance of bringing yourself inward and it really explains these things in detail to to help you get to the place of being able to meditate deeply and to be eventually the goal is to connect with yourself as consciousness itself. And so I think the thing for me with your question is like sometimes if people just take that new age approach, that really traditional new age approach where there's not much exploration deep uh, deeply into any of these traditions, we miss out on the deeper teachings of the tradition that are really helpful for our own spiritual growth. So that that's to me the that's why I personally, although I don't wouldn't identify myself as a Hindu, um, why I, I still like to really kind of go deep into that specific tradition and that specific practice for my own sense of spirituality, because I think it helps just my own spiritual growth to have the deeper understanding of the tradition. Yeah. And that tradition, I mean, deep diving into Hinduism is really what helped me revisit my own native tradition. And I think that's mm. what interspirituality is, can do for us is it, when we look at the truths within multiple understandings of connecting to the infinite we're able to understand what we've been handed with a whole new lens and a whole new level of clarity um because mm -hmm. that's you know growing up in deep in in a charismatic christian uh tradition you know when i began to see some of the eastern traditions and some of the truths of of uh buddhism and hinduism and and really uh Taoism, man, you start reading that and you're like, dude, like Lao Tzu is like pre Jesus consciousness for sure. Like they were on functioning on the same yeah. wavelength, you know? And it's like, then whenever I revisit the gospels, I'm like, oh, I totally see now, you know, what's, what's happening here. And that's, you know, what I love about people coming to this truth of interspirituality is it doesn't make us it, it doesn't imply that we're alienating anything. It's that we're including it all it is mm -hmm. that everything belongs. Everything has a place. It's, it's layers being revealed to the depth of the truth that, that is above all of this stuff, you know? Um, but I'm curious when you grew up through the Catholic, uh, you know, branch of Christianity, and St. Francis of Assisi, and I mean, you know, Anthony, I mean, we, we get our whole monastic tradition from, from him, you know, and uh, St. Anthony, and uh, he's the, you know, OG of the Desert Fathers, you know, and, uh, but I'm curious that, that transition then, um, like, was there stuff to work through in terms of the, the, because the, there's still the foundational Western idea of God and self and separation and, and things. And how did that move from separation to union? And did Buddhism, just the presence, how much did that play a piece in all that of connection? Man, I hope this yeah. landscaper in the background is not absolutely ruining the audio, but it's all good. <laughs> uh, I don't hear it much. Okay. So. He's like yeah. right outside my door. 
but hey, everything belongs, right? So yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so I think I think really the the big thing that I learned and started to value quickly from the more dharmic traditions was the emphasis on experience. And for me growing up when the, in the Catholic tradition, it was very much, here's just what you do. And if you do these things, God will help you. Basically there was never even there. Like I was talking to my brother, uh, a few months ago when he was, or I guess a month ago over Christmas. And I was saying like how cool it would have been to have a mystical priest because I, I, I never even had an experience with a priest or a religious teacher who was even able to explain that idea of God in a metaphysical way. Like we never even, really explored that in terms of how it could be uh, thought of in metaphor in a metaphysical perspective. It was just, here's what you do and, and God's going to, you know, keep you from going to hell or going to bring you to heaven. And there was no emphasis on connecting with God through spiritual practice. There wasn't like a big emphasis on that. Maybe there was a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the focus. It was more so fo like following the dogma and just kind of going about your life. And then when I got to Buddhism, I would say the first thing for me was, again, the plant medicine experiences showed me deeper layers of who I was. And then Buddhism really emphasized the importance of being able to, you know, experience enlightenment or reach enlightenment through meditation. So there was this emphasis really shifting from the dogma of the tradition, which obviously, you know, for people who are informed of the Christian tradition, it's not just dogma. There's a lot of mystical aspects to it that I understand now. But, but when I was moving from my understanding of the tradition to this experiential focus, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Cause this to me relates or it's similar to my experience and transformation from plant medicine and even art. Like I've played, I've played guitar my whole life. And so playing music on stage, I would feel like I would have mystical experiences to a certain extent. And so this focus on like, just meditate and you can experience what this ultimate reality is for yourself. And then you decide for yourself what it is. That to me was, um, I would say the big shift in my understanding of like spirituality and God. And I would say that it wasn't until I started exploring uh, the Hindu traditions more deeply that I started to be able to reconcile Christian philosophies with Dharmic experiential understandings of the divine or enlightenment. Um, so I would say like now my, my personal belief right now is that I do kind of, I have a non-dual, uh, understanding that in essence everything is god or you know whatever word someone wants to use but i don't think it's as simple as just saying like that just saying you know everything's god i think it's really um simple in one way but it's also really complex that we also live on earth and we clearly have a separate identity here and we have a dualistic world and that's also i don't view that as completely unreal like you know the advaita school of vedanta is very much this is all maya it's all not real i don't really have that perspective but um i do kind of have a non-dual perspective on spirituality yeah yeah and you know because that's the non-dual christianity is i guess how you would come you know, that's the, the truth that I came to eventually. Uh, it took me a long time to really even uh, 
embrace the word of Christianity at all again. Uh, I was pretty off put by that, but understanding it from a non-dual perspective, authors like Richard Rohr were fundamental back in the day and things of that nature. Um, but yeah. speaking on this, I think plant medicine definitely can help people open up to that um, that non-dual reality. It's, it seems like that was a huge thing even in the counterculture, uh, even today with the psychedelic renaissance, that people are seeing the the merging of who they are, who they think they are with the truth of everything around them. And, uh, it's, it's opening up a lot of things for a lot of people, but you know, um, I'm curious your perspective on some of the psychedelic Renaissance as well, because it sounds like, you know, listening to your story that that's really what opened you up to the place that you're at. But, uh, it's, you know, this is just me maybe projecting, but it's kind of like the Alan Watts, you know, you know, after you get the message, hang up the phone sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, like, uh, with, with your plant medicine experience, what, like, was it mushrooms or was it ayahuasca? Mm-hmm. And then what, what was your revelation from that? And then, um, yeah. How did that begin to bring some formation? Yeah. So yeah, it started, I, I, uh, my first experience was with mushrooms. I did LSD, um, mainly just LSD and mushrooms. But the most important one was my first experience with mushrooms because it opened me up to um, really similar experiences that I've had later through meditation where it's just like a direct knowing, almost mm-hmm. like of a waking up from a dream, really. Uh, it's funny. I was just bringing up the Advaita Vedanta, that everything is a, an illusion. And when we realize the illusion, it's like waking up from a dream. So I guess I haven't totally ruled out that perspective. I just don't think it's the healthiest, mm-hmm. I guess, for going about our daily lives. But I just bring that up because it is kind of a similar feeling that I've had with mushrooms or I did have with mushrooms where it was just like an, uh, an instant kind of remembering or knowing. And then, yeah, with LSD, it was similar experiences, but, um, now, yeah, I, I definitely think that that can only take you so far. I think the, the great thing with, with plants is I think they're great to utilize to, kind of like reset if we're if we're like lost in these traditional things aren't helping us like our own spiritual practices aren't helping us and we're maybe feeling confused we're not feeling compassion we're feeling lost like they can be great to kind of like reset and they can i I was telling my friend i feel like they they teach us spiritual lessons without using words Mm. yeah and a lot of other, you know, ways of learning in spirituality do involve words from teachers and, and traditions and books. And sometimes that's so mental. We're so in our head, we're thinking about how to be, you know, more loving, how, who we are. The plants can just remind us of the importance of just stop, how to stop thinking and just realize it. But um, I do think that to me, the perfect combo is once you've had those experiences, then it's about exploring uh, how to how to connect to that state without them, without the plants or whatever. And yeah. To me, that's why it's really helpful to have, you know, develop a spiritual practice, explore uh, a spiritual tradition because I found what I found was that they, especially Buddhism and, and Hindu traditions really explained what I experienced really well. Yeah. And then I realized, well, they explain steps and how to connect to that state, um, consistently in the importance of that. And I think that was, uh, for me at like an, when I was like 18 to understand that was really mind blowing. Mm. Um, 
so that's kind of my take on it is that I think they're, they're powerful. I think that they should be used in combination with, uh, you know, consistent spiritual practice and having spiritual frameworks of understanding. Yeah. And I think that also I've never struggled with this, but I do know there's a lot of people who use them to escape also. And it's not, it's not, there's not an intention of, um, I need to connect with myself spiritually here. It's more like I have these mental issues that I don't know how to deal with. And I'm just going to take, go to this plant medicine ceremony to basically just get high. Yeah. So, and they do it again and again and again. again. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what, yeah. Never ends. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, for a lot of people, I feel like it can become an ego identity. Yes, dude. Yeah. Like I'm a plant medicine person. And so even if they're not, there's no like big benefit, it's become an identity too, which is, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, but I think it's an important thing to talk about because a lot of times interspiritual circles or people that are pursuing this route, you know, um, or this route is pursuing them, however you want to uh, say it, uh, plant medicine seems to have some place in it or people are at least open to it. Um, and so I think that with all of this that's happening right now, it is important conversation because it's become a substitute for real transcendence. Um, you know, my experiences, you know, psychedelics it, it, or even just plant medicine in general and, and what was happening uh, for a while, um, I was working on a project with a friend invited to do uh, some things with cannabis. And after walking down that road, pretty much this whole past year of 2022, it became very evident and clear to me that uh, you know, we've, we've mixed up, you know, the stream for the source and that, that it's something that can lead us to that awakening, but it is not itself the awakening. Yeah. And, um, I love your story because it opened you up and so exactly. it did its job. It opened you up, but people get stuck in these loops now of, oh, I have to have that to open up. Um, mm. did you feel at all that that was a temptation for a period of time, um, where you were pursuing yeah. that as the avenue? Yeah. Um, I think it's, have you read, uh, be here now? Yes. I'm assuming you're, you're familiar with, yeah. So his story, Ram Dass's story, I feel like when I read that, it really resonated with me because he talked about always wanting to get that high again, but he'd always come down. I've never, I'm not going to proclaim that I... <laughs> I'm always at that level of bliss. Um, I'm definitely not, but I, uh, yeah, I was, especially around the age of like 19 or 20, I didn't realize it actually probably around like 18 or so. I didn't realize it, but I was spiritually seeking something and I th was using mushrooms and LSD to try to reach what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did think that if I just kept uh, exploring it, like doing it more and more, that I would develop more and more understanding. But what I what I understood was that I wasn't. I wasn't developing like, oh, like this time and now I have this deeper understanding of who I am and what the world is. It would be supportive for mood, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, I, I, I'm a big advocate. I think the idea of, of microdosing for like mental health purposes yeah. is great, but, um, I, yeah, I did, I did basically you asked it, was it tempting? I think I did explore using it more and more. And what I found was that it wasn't helping me develop new insights. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is what led me to realize, okay, like this, and, and more than that, I think it was actually kind of harming my mental health. I think that's another part of the conversation that people don't have who are really into plant medicine is how, like, if you keep doing these things over and over, there is an impact on your brain. <laughs> totally. So yes. around that, 
around that time when I was like 20, uh, that's when I really started to focus on meditation because I was like, I, this isn't good for me. I'm not developing new insights and completely stopped. Like I hadn't had any plant medicine experience until really like a year ago when I started, uh, like occasionally I did, uh, I used mushrooms again and it was, it was nice, but it wasn't, you know, anything crazy. So that was kind of how I, um, approached the temptation, I guess. How did, so when you revisit, uh, had the revisitation and the psychedelics after this spiritual development, cause I didn't have mm -hmm. any psychedelic experience until I think I was what, 30, 30, 31 years old, you know, I'm 33 okay. now. And so, uh, it was much later in the game from a lot of my friends, um, you know, then on the other side too, some people are still late. Like my friend that invited me into it wasn't 40 in his forties until it happened. So, um, mm -hmm. so I think my initial experience, I've only had three, three trips. Um, and they've all been significant, uh, and meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I've had developed a, uh, a ritual practice in my life and have some level of framework for, non-dualism before that ever mm -hmm. even entered into my experiences. So when you revisited that last year, how was that different from maybe some of the earlier times of, of your experiences? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it was what it was for me was a reminder, um, of that, of that experiential understanding of non-duality, um, which I, I can get there for sure through my meditation practices, but what's nice of what was nice about it for me was it just kind of really opened me up to that understanding beyond thought. Um, so it was really like a reminder of that non-dual understanding that I had developed, but it was really like experiential reminding. Whereas I feel like with my own spiritual path over the past <clears throat> eight to 10 years, it's been so intellectual. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's experiential too, with my practices, but so much of it is like deeply studying, um, these traditions, different teachers, different philosophies. And, um, that's really helpful, but I think the, reintegration of mushrooms over the past year just kind of helped me get out of my head and to like really feel it. <clears throat> and also a big part of that experiential knowing was love. Mm. Um, I had, it was, it was really beautiful. It just really showed me that like, <laughs> that's all that matters really. I, I, I had a specific moment where I was really just meditating but not in the like one pointed type of meditation where I was trying to focus on my breath really intensely. I was just being open to the present moment. Yeah. And whatever, what I kept noticing was whenever I tried to think, I didn't feel love. But whenever I allowed myself just to be, when I, and this is when I was on mushrooms, I, I experienced love and it was just like remembering that this is who I was, this is who I am. Yeah. And this is what matters, really. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what it was like for me when I, you know, reintroduced them. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really beautiful, uh, honestly. Were you with some people or were you by yourself? Like, what was the context? By myself. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like, uh, I don't, I mean, maybe I would do it in a, in a, like, a situation where everyone was setting an intention and it was very calm and everyone was going through some sort of like ceremony together. But personally, I, I like to kind of have my spirituality be like very just mm -hmm. by myself, yeah. unless I'm out like doing some work, you know, helping service based stuff. But yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. It's because I know a lot of it too has been, it's become a just like a whole culture and it has been a culture already but what i like about that as well is that 
you, it's not like you were trying to show anybody anything or prove like, mm-hmm. it's like, this is deeply for me. And I think that's what separates, maybe not, it's not a good word, but I think what separates people who are really seeking for real to true understanding of realization and connection from people who are just trying to, you know, have something to make them feel good or, or know that they're okay or, and, and mm-hmm. all of that's okay. I don't want to sound dogmatic in any way. Like, whatever reason is in someone to activate them towards growth and seeking is, is I think good and, and is used. Nothing is wasted. Everything's recycled. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do think that in this present era that we're in, like it's, it's either the escapism or the trying to be it's, it's cultural. It's cool now to like, Mm -hmm. you know, do like, like, again, we're both in San Diego. Like there's like stuff all over the place. All it's trendy. It's trendy. That's what I'm looking for. And there's a difference between trendy and there's a difference between like, you really understand that this is not just like far out ideas on a YouTube channel. Like this is the nature of reality that we are understanding to be true. And psychedelics can help that brings some real context to that, but it isn't just that. And so I love that yeah. your reintroduction was like, no, this is, this was ceremonial, but for me, <laughs> not, not mm-hmm. like, because I was invited to something in OB or whatever, you know, like, yeah. And no offense again, I don't want to sound dogmatic. No <laughs> offense. If that's your, if that's. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. You know? Like, yeah, I so. think it's, imp- it's important to point that out because there is, I think, danger in, in it being a trend. And I think people should speak. I think that should be a conversation people have because um, I do like I do think that they're to be respected for what they are. And also, um, they might not be for everyone. And so just because it's a trend and like a lot of people, it looks spiritual to go to this event or this ceremony, um, or you might be struggling with, you know, some mental health thing. It doesn't mean that you should do uh, like plant, take plant medicine, that you should use that. Like maybe it could help you, but it, it might not too. And so I think um, pointing out that just because something's trendy doesn't mean it's for everyone is important. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Cause that's, that typically is the thing, whatever becomes the trend becomes the, and, and that's at the end of the day, we're all looking for some level of savior, right? Like mm-hmm. something that's going to come and, and help, you know, mess me and fix where all I messed up and whatever. And we just are looking yeah. for that savior idea. And, uh, you know, we just get it mixed up with, with all the stuff. Um, but to stay, come back to, I mean, it's interesting how the conversation, I mean, that's a part of your, your story too, of, of interspirituality. It sounds like that opened you up to that. Um, mm-hmm. and then the reintroduction of that, uh, but I'm curious as you, cause you do one-on-one spiritual direction, spiritual coaching. I'm not sure what language you use for that. Um, mm-hmm. and everybody's different, but is there some like basic sort of things without maybe giving away sort of your secret sauce, but like, are there some Uh, basics uh. that you could impart to people who are maybe on this path? And for whatever reason, we had the conversation that went in the way it did. Apparently someone listening is, you know, needing to navigate through some of that psychedelic conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that you impart to people from an interspiritual perspective is they're stepping into this path and it's maybe new or fresh or they're, trying to find their way, you know? Yeah. Like, are you saying if someone had uh, uh, an experience with uh, mushrooms or something and they're trying to integrate it? Or are you saying just in general with like exploring an interspiritual life kind of? Yeah. Yeah. I think more so like if people are entering into that space of non-duality and they work with, they begin working with you, uh, on a one-on-one setting, just some fundamentals and some basics as you in, begin to 
welcome them onto this the the path, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, what I would if I was working with someone in a coaching format, um, usually what I would try to do is to just get to know the person. And I think everyone's different, so I don't think there's one set formula for every person. Um, but I think the key really is like starting to develop spiritual practices that are tested that have been around for a long time, understanding like the context of the practice too. So if we're practicing like mindfulness, for instance, how does that relate to the Buddhist philosophy, um, Mm -hmm. of impermanence of the self, because that's a different philosophy than the like Hindu philosophies in, you know, like the yogic tradition where the self is permanent. The self is all it is in the Buddhist tradition. The self doesn't exist and everything is impermanent. So kind of like understanding those practices within the context of their tradition. But then I would also say to me, the most important thing is what, what your own experience is Mm -hmm. so if you're practicing mindfulness and that's helping you with your your reactivity your stress it's helping you to connect with who you are beyond thought then um that is a good enough reason to just keep doing it and you don't have to get super caught up in what the the philosophical understanding of the practice is from the buddhist tradition um, and then same thing, like if you're doing breath work or pranayama or, or prayer, you know, understanding like maybe from the yogic perspective, from the Christian perspective, um, uh, some stuff about that, but then just kind of like seeing where that takes you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I approach, I, I do, like, I would say it's, you know, spiritual coaching, holistic coaching, and I don't, I don't take the approach of having answers, because I do feel like everyone comes to answers in their own way. If you want to have a guru, like that's fine. Uh, there's, there's a place I think for having the spiritual teacher, but for me, it's just about helping people like learn some, some time tested practices, talk through what those experiences are like, how it helps that person in their life. And, you know, just really my, my thing is, I think a lot of people need those direct experiences in their life, really like mystical experiences and traditional modalities. I don't think a lot of times address that like Mm -hmm. traditional talk therapy is awesome for a lot of things, but from my experience, it's not really super supportive in helping people develop mystical experiences in their own way. And for me, that was a huge Big, uh, shift in my life when I had that for those first mystical experiences, everything in my life changed. Like my perspective on myself, my perspective on the world, my perspective on relationship. Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is like just helping people develop those practices that can help them experience that for themselves. Yeah, and yeah. you know, integrating that spiritual perspective in in our daily life. So a lot of. Uh... You'd recommend like breath work, obviously, meditation, prayer, things yeah. of that to help people get into. Because as I've been doing more spiritual direction and companioning, that's that's I'm with you on that. A lot of people want to know like, what's the first thing do I need to read? And it's like that's important. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. it's also what's the first thing that you need to do tomorrow morning that you don't even need to read anything. <laughs> 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 you know, like like how do you engage that? Um, and with that as well as where, you know, I want to respect your time and things, um, from your Instagram, uh, there's a few things I wanted to mention about that, that I think probably just display your, your overall philosophy, but you've been emphasizing prayer as well as meditation. And so as you're mm-hmm. advising people and walking people through integrating these practices, can you talk to me about your uh, understanding of prayer and how that's developed and and how you impart that to others? Yeah, that's a good question that I'm always exploring myself. Um, but the way I see prayer now is I kind of see different 
types of prayer existing at the same time. Um, I think there's, you know, like the communal form of prayer where we're literally just speaking to God. I've been doing that since I was like three, I think. And uh, to me, that's just a great way of developing a relationship with God. It's more dualistic, uh, which is fine. Like we can have a dualistic relationship. To me, I believe we can have a dualistic relationship with God while having a non-dual understanding as well. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, I would say like, just take that traditional Christian perspective of communal prayer and introduce it into your life and see what comes from it. Um, just talk to God, express what you're feeling. What are you struggling with? What are your, what are you thankful for? Um, ask for help, give, give a sense of gratitude. I just find that to be really transformative, um, spiritually in a way that's different from uh, meditation because it really, to me, opens up the person energetically and that shift in energy connects the person to, you know, who, like to God really, or to who they are beyond their thoughts. So really to me, the way I view communal prayer is you're just, it's really like energetic alchemy in a way. We're just working with energies through conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, the other form of prayer is to me, like in the Hindu tradition, the yogic tradition, if you're doing like mantra work, you're saying a mantra, like if I do Om, is Om is a big part of my practice. And when I do Om in the yoga sutras, they talk about contemplating the meaning of Om. And in the, in the tradition, um, it's referred to as Ishvara, like Ishvara is kind of God. And Om is thought to be an actual manifestation of Ishvara. Mm -hmm. And so repeating Om for me, like I'll think about that beforehand. I'll, I'll think this term Om is God. So when I'm repeating Om, God is here with me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll try to feel Om as all of life, myself, everything around me is this energy of Om, which is God. So to me, that's another form of prayer. That's it's more kind of like a meditative form of prayer, I guess. But um, I still view that as prayer because it's not as simple as just listening to the sound of Om, which would be more of a traditional meditation where you're just focusing on a sound. Mm -hmm. I focus on um, cultivating the energy first of what Om means and maintaining that energy and focusing on that energy while I repeat Om. Mm -hmm. And I think that same thing could be done with different words, you know, whatever tradition someone's into. But those are the two different ways that I um, view prayer. And, you know, traditional meditation is more to me focusing on one thing without generating much emotion about it. Like you're focusing just on the breath. You're not thinking about what the meaning of the breath is. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to cultivate a feeling. Same thing if you're just, like I said, with Om. Uh, in the other way, if you're just listening to the sound Om, it can take you to the same place, but it's a different type of practice. Yeah. That's the way in, I view in, it. Yeah. In meditation then, because like almost I see, you know, because I grew up with prayer and then meditation was like, you know, evil, you know, because it's... Mm -hmm not Christian, even though it, yeah. it just goes to show how linear uh, that was. But um, thinking about meditating on like the Ajna energy center, the, 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 the third eye, the, the, the thing that everybody talks about, you know, awakening, mm -hmm. um, that almost feels like a, a unique hybrid of meditation prayer uh, yeah. How would you classify that? Because, you know, I have a, a good, under, decent understanding of, of some of the Hindu philosophy. I, I read the Gita, uh, but I'm curious from your perspective of of, of that. Like, Because it's weird for me to think about, like you said, meditating is I'm opening up to the presence of, of awareness that is here without much focused intention or uh, allocating energy in a particular way. But mm -hmm. this is about a locating energy to that mm -hmm. area. And so, uh, yeah, 
just so, some of the, the Ajna meditation. Yeah. Well, I think like um, when it comes to like meditating with specific chakras, there's so many different ways people do it and teach it. So I feel like it's hard to give one conclusive answer on that. But from, from my understanding, yeah, usually I would say like, like what you're saying about it being a combination of prayer and meditation is, is accurate. I think it's kind of similar to what we're doing, what I was saying with Ohm when I'm trying to con cultivate the energy of Ohm and feel the energy of Ohm while I repeat it. A lot of times with chakra meditations, we're trying to cultivate the energy of that specific energy center. And we're focusing our attention on that energy to a certain extent. And then a lot of times with chakra uh, meditation, people are working with uh, the, the energy within the spinal system. So like Kundalini type stuff too. Mm -hmm. And that would be um, maybe repeating a specific sound that's associated with the chakra. Um, but I would say that, yeah, I agree that it's kind of like a combination because it's not as simple as just like looking at the third eye without doing anything else. There's a focus on generating kind of an energetic and emotional quality too. Mm -hmm. How important is it to cultivate? Uh, Cause I, I pray through my chakras. I've been doing that as a practice every day for a couple of years now. Mm. And I noticed too, just again, with the trend of things and in the eye, um, <laughs> I have a friend, I won't name him. Um, but he, he, he didn't know any of the other chakras. He's just like, Oh, you're Ajna, you know, your third eye. You know? And I'm like, dude, like you can't just skip, you know, but I mean, but you can, but you can't, you, can. you can, I just don't know what the results would be. I don't know. <laughs> I get, I just, I don't even know that. And I just recorded a random YouTube video today just about how like the, the heart is everything is, that's the that's what hinges from the lower to the upper. Right. And it's like without the heart and without the throat, like, like what, what do you even do if you're, if that begins to open, you know what I'm like? There's, yeah. there's, this is, there's a reason that it is a, and I love how, you know, Yogananda talks about it the way that he describes it as a science, I think is accurate, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, yeah, like there is a, a, a level of formation to, to that point. Um, how important is it for people to learn to develop working with the other chakra points before just jumping to trying to awaken their third eye because they hmm. see Instagram videos about that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, my personal take on that is that there needs to always be balance when we're working with like energy. Um, and I do think that people who are so like strict when it comes to the dogma of the traditions and, and lineages and stuff will say, oh, like you can you should never work with, uh, you know, Kundalini related yoga stuff unless you have a master guru who can walk you through everything. And the, the point with people saying that is be, is that when we're working with like energy in that way up and down the spine it can be dangerous for sure. Like, because if anyone, I'm sure you've experienced this, like you can experience firsthand how it impacts um, our state of being. So I think what my teachers have told me when I've done different trainings and yoga teacher training um, is that always like if we're doing breathwork practices, meditation practices that are more activating for those like higher centers, or if we're doing something with the third eye and we start to feel maybe a little erratic or um, we notice our energy being all over the place, like throughout our day, that's when it's important to also balance it with practices that calm us down. Mm -hmm. So, breathwork practices that are about calming the nervous system down instead of activating the nervous system down. Um, you're talking about trends. A big trend I think that I see in San Diego and, and a lot of new age spirituality is just focusing on these breathwork practices that are super activating. 
but then there's never really a, a focus on breathwork practices that help calm down at all. Right. And I think that can be the danger of focusing on just like the higher chakra stuff without the lower stuff is, um, it can, it can be too activating and it can be, I think kind of risky for people's mental health, honestly, if there's not like a balance between some of the other stuff, but the whole conversation around like how, what specific stuff to do, it's so confusing and it's so complex because there's a million different thoughts on yeah. what you should be practicing and all that. Um, I know it's a lot of people would disagree with this, but my thing is like, listen to your intuition and listen to teachers too, but also listen to your intuition. It's like, if something feels like it's just helping you open your heart and you're feeling like a more loving person, I don't see any reason to change it. But if, you know, there's some other side effects, then that's when I think it's important to look at what other teachers who focus on that type of stuff say about what you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And I mean, intuition is, is so much. Um, and even as we come to a close, I think that's true is that even as, you know, the listener, you hear, you know, two people talk about these things, check in with, with yourself yeah. that, and I just posted it. I actually had this video on my phone forever. I just, it came up. I was like, Oh, I never shared that on Instagram. I should, but it's like, Jesus says that, you know, which is my guru, uh, you know, that mm. the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. And we have to remember yeah. that the kingdom of God is within us. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's the spirit within us will lead us on the path of righteousness. Uh, and these are everything else just helps us go there. So listeners, you listen to us, maybe hopefully, you know, pick and pull some things and invite some ideas and thoughts and, Ultimately, it is about the intuition and follow that and intuitively, you know, sense what spirit is doing within because um, that's what's always going to be faithful, you know. Totally. Uh, so any uh, maybe, you know, last words or thoughts on that that you wanted to share and then also how people can get in touch with you and what, what you offer uh, for what you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. I totally agree with that on intuition. I think that um, there's a lot of people that I respect who disagree, who view it as, you know, view it really to be important to follow a specific tradition and trust that they've understood um, what you should be doing. And I think there's there should be a balance between those things. Um, but we should never disregard our intuition because someone tells us to, if totally. we really feel internally that something feels off or something feels right, I wholeheartedly believe that we should be listening to that. And that's never let me down in my life. So I, I, I trust that more than, um, I think, um, I think anything, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in terms of like where people can connect with me, where people can, uh, you know, work with me and stuff, I, uh, I'm on Instagram at spirit of Ellis and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly consider myself a spiritual creator and I call myself a spiritual change maker. So, um, I offer different things I do, um, like we were talking about earlier, I do a form of holistic coaching for people who, uh, yeah, want to take more of like a spiritual approach to working through their life's challenges. And then I also, um, offer marketing coaching and consulting for people who own spiritual businesses. So, um, that's a big goal for me is I, re I realized with my own content creation that so many people out there have these amazing spiritual messages and are amazing spiritual businesses and, projects, but they, they don't know how to like get themselves, get themselves out there. Um, a big part of my background is working in, in marketing and that to me as of late has been a big goal is to try to help people who have these spiritual messages and businesses 
get their stuff out there. Mm. So that's another thing that I offer is, is um, marketing, specifically helping people with social media and content. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways to get in contact with me and sweet in terms of offerings, best offerings. Yeah. And you have a podcast as well, right? Yes, I have a podcast. Um, it's funny that you're also going through kind of a transformation with, with yours and the name and stuff. Mine also is going through a trans- transformation right now. So the best way to get in touch with the podcast would probably be just to follow me on Instagram uh, at Spirit of Ellis, and you can see the link there. Cool. Awesome. Ellis, thank you so much. And uh, if you don't mind, hang hang on for a second. I have a couple other just things offline for you and uh, but I appreciate you carving out an hour of your day and sharing the wisdom yeah my pleasure Luke